Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Well, good morning, good morning, and a pleasant good Thursday morning, and I mean it's like clockwork around these parts. Beautiful day, greater Cincinnati, right in the heart of Hamilton, Ohio, our Chatterbox Studios. Casey, Paul, Jacob, gentlemen, good morning. How's it looking, Tom? Looking good. Looking real good. Yeah. Why is it looking good? It's a beautiful day. Mm. Thankful for another day. Well, I was talking about last night. But hey, big one for the Warriors. On to the state final four. <laughs> Lukey man called a stone wall or actually a stone well. I didn't understand that. Have you ever heard that term stone well? No. That was the line used in the uh, paper today. Senior goalie Luke Brenneman turned into a stone well in the goal. Was it not, was it not a typo? I don't know. I have no idea. Maybe that's a term that I just haven't heard of. Oh. But uh, it, was, it was a fun game, great crowd, beautiful night, and uh, we were very excited. And uh, on we go to the next round, so we'll see what happens. But we welcome all of you to uh, Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. we got a big show today. We come your way Monday through Friday, 10 a. to 12 p. Yep. You can catch us on YouTube. Chatterbox Sports page. You can search us in podcast form if you so choose. Just search Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman and you're dialed in. Hey, the Reds aren't backing down to these St. Louis Cardinals. Cardinals came to town rolling, man. They had won 11 out of 14, knocking a cover off the ball. Reds won game one, lost game two. And man, did they bounce back in a thunderous way last night. Winning 10-3, to the Reds had 18 hits in the game. In fact, each of the first seven hitters in the lineup had two or more hits in the win. Spencer Steer had four hits. Matt McLean hit another home run. And we wondered if by Tyler Stevenson just walking three times two days ago, maybe seeing the ball a little bit better. He had two hits and knocked in two. Then there's Ben Lively. It's a great story. Remember him? He was a guy that was one of the top Reds prospects, kind of like we've been talking about with Green and Lodolo and Ashcraft. That was Ben Lively 10 years ago. He was a big part of a trade to Philadelphia. He's kind of bounced around since. I guess you'd call him a journeyman now. But he's in the Reds rotation, and he was solid last night. Six innings, five hits, two runs. Got his first big league win as a starting pitcher since 2017. Good for him. Cincinnati goes for the series win today at 12:40. Luke Weaver will get the nod. After the game, a team jumps on the Big Bird and makes its way north to Chicago to begin a series over the weekend at Wrigley Field. Longtime Cubs radio analyst Ron Coomer will join us at 10:45 to preview that series. In the NBA, Miami has a chance to close out the Celtics. That's tonight in the Eastern Conference Finals. The Heat leads the series three games to one, tip-off set for 8.30. In the NHL, the Florida Panthers beat Carolina last night 4-3. They advanced to the Stanley Cup Finals, a four-game sweep. Las Vegas has a chance to do the same tonight against Dallas, face-off, set for 8 o'clock. Now, coming up on the program, we talked about Ron Coomer. And uh, hopefully here momentarily, want to make sure the big fella, um, yep, he just said 1020. He's coming up. Okay. Willie Anderson, who was part of the second class of the Bengals Ring of Honor, 
That was last fall, you may remember. Uh, one of the great right tackles in the history of football, and that is not exaggerating. We were looking up some uh, stats and some notes about Willie Anderson. Now, everybody loves to talk about left tackle, and it's understandable. But as a right tackle, okay, he was named, he went to four Pro Bowls, but he's named as an all-pro. That means they only pick one guy, right, at each position in the entire NFL. Three years in a row, he was the first right tackle to do that in the National Football League since three other guys back in the 1970s. So he's going to be part of a big football camp coming up next week here in town, along with his old running mate at quarterback, John Kitna, who's a new head football coach at Lakota East High School. So if you uh, have a kid, a grandkid, nephew, friend, uh, who's a young football player, an offensive lineman. I mean, what better way than to hang out with Willie Anderson, right? He's going to be there working with youngsters on being an offensive lineman. It's pretty good stuff. Yeah. Anthony Munoz has been doing that kind of thing here in town forever. And um, it'll be interesting to get uh, Willie Anderson's thoughts on a lot of different things, but he's really wanting to get the word out about this camp next week, and we're glad we can help him to do so. And, of course, later on it'll be Tracy Jones. So what's on your mind today, man? I mean, there are a lot of ways we could go here. we got plenty of time later to get into the Reds, but if you want to do that now, we can. Is there anything else before Willie comes on that you just kind of want to get off your chest? Um, you know, there is a couple different things. See, that, here we go. That I, I knew that there was something, Casey. I could see it. It's more, it's not like, it's not weighing on me heavy, but I've seen a lot of clips of like Jackson Carmen and Orlando Brown working out together. Seen a lot of stuff of the progress that Lyle Collins has had. And you don't see anything of, of Jonah Williams because he's not there, but Man, there's a lot of footage out there of those guys, and they look good. Like, you know, it's one of the most fascinating – you know, look, we all get wrapped up, and I did too, okay, last year. And, and I still stand by what I said, although Zach Taylor made the counter-argument uh, against what I had said last year about that offensive line and that new group. And they were terrible the first two games of the year. We know that. It's old news. But – if you're really into learning some of the inside of football, and I talk about the athletic all the time, one of the most interesting articles I've read in quite some time uh, about coaching in the National Football League is the article that came out today in The Athletic about Zach Taylor and his staff and the way they schedule their team here during OTAs. Now, I'm not going to try to get into all of the things you're allowed to do and the number of practices and all this kind of thing. But there is a very, very detailed article written by Paul Daner Jr. that talks about Zach Taylor's approach to this whole thing and what the team does compared to other teams around the NFL. Zach Taylor said, look, I don't know what other guys do. I'm not worried about what other guys do. We are really aligned with sports science and all of these kinds of things, as other teams are in the National Football League. But there was a time before they started changing some of these rules where you could hit people, 
uh, during these OTAs. You could have seven-on-seven seven offensive linemen against defensive linemen, full pads, contact, whole nine yards. They changed the rules in the NFL, right? Um, but there was a very – it really is an interesting column. I mean, I'm telling you, it, it is fascinating of what Taylor and his staff do um, and how it's against, quote-unquote, air. That's the word used over and over and over, is that you want your players to understand. And this is an old Bill Walsh thing. You know, Paul Brown – who was the mentor to Bill Walsh, used to say all the time, this stuff about practicing for two and two and a half hours and all this sort of stuff is complete nonsense. If you can't get done in an hour and a half of what you need to get done and get your players in, get them out. Keep them healthy. Keep them moving. Keep them fresh. Keep them focused. So then you're wasting your time or you're doing a bad job. And... If anybody ever, and look, there have been documentaries out there in the whole night. If anybody ever watched a Paul Brown run practice or later a Bill Walsh run practice, everybody else's playbook in the NFL was like this long on a piece of paper. Bill Walsh's was like that long. And he would say, we're going to run the same 17 or 18 plays. The other team knows we're going to run the 17 or 18 plays. And we are going to run them so well and execute them so well at every position on the field that they're not going to stop us. And very few teams ever stop the 49ers, right? I mean, through a couple different quarterbacks, both Hall of Famers, I get it, Hall of Fame players everywhere, offensive line, wide receivers, running backs, okay, talent, no doubt. But Zach Taylor, in many, many ways, even though he's not a protege of Walsh and certainly not a Paul Brown, but – um the way he looks at these OTAs is so fascinating, and his players are all in. Whether it's Sam Hubbard, who talked about, and he wasn't beating up on Marvin because the rules were different, but he talked about when he first came into the league and at the OTAs of his rookie year, he injured his thumb, he had another injury, it set him back, he was unable to really have a, a really good first year in the NFL. And a lot of that was because he got injured in OTAs. And so Hubbard, you know, talks about then and now. Ted Karras, who will sing the praises of Bill Belichick from now until the end of time, and he does all the time. But Karras has been around a league a long time now. Veteran guy. Body starts to get beat up. Uh, and he... Uh, talked at length in this article uh, about what the Bengals are doing down there. And, um, and they're having fun, but they're also focused. They're spending a lot of time in the film room. They're trying to get the rookies and the free agent players up to speed for what the Bengals do and how they do it and what they expect players to be ready to do when training camp starts. I think the quote in there was by Hubbard, um, I've never thought jobs were won in the spring, but certainly jobs were lost in the spring. And what he meant was injury. You're not going to win a job as a rookie or a free agent player, unless you're brought in like Orlando Brown Jr., but you're not going to win a job 
in the spring. You win that in training camp, right? And in the preseason. Right. So, but if all of a sudden you get hurt and go down, you can certainly lose a job, and that can be for a veteran player too. Right. You're a guy, Zach Taylor. <laughs> certainly not your guy. No, he's my – I mean, listen, I, no, no. Zach Taylor's done an unbelievable job. I mean, unbelievable job. I think it's fair. Would you not agree? I th- I think it was fair that we questioned about what he did with the offensive line last year. That was fair. Yeah. I wasn't beating him down. No. no now, no. he went on to point out, he was asked his question yesterday, that, hey, your methods are uniquely, and by far, there's a chart on there going back to last year and now this year, what the schedule is for OTAs. The Bengals, more than any team in the NFL by far, are using the least amount of time on the practice field during OTAs. I think the number is 16 practices. The Bengals are going to use 10. Now, they're doing other stuff, but they're only going to use 10. And uh, Taylor was asked about it. said, look, yeah, last year you start 0-2. Year before, you start two and three. Is there a chance that maybe you're taking this too far? And you know what he said? He said 0-2 last year. He said we lost a turnover battle 5-0. to That's the single most telling statistic there is in a football game. 99% of the time, if the only stat you are shown about a football game is the turnover margin, the team that won the turnover margin is going to win the game. There are outliers, but most of the time, that's a deal. And then he said, we lost a turnover margin 5-0 in those first two games last year, and we missed a point after that would have been a walk-off win. Correct. So he said that has nothing to do with the way we practice in the spring. Who am I to argue? But I asked a question. Was it a fair question? Was it a fair question to ask about fourth down inside the one-yard line and throwing a shovel pass to a guy who had not caught a ball all year long when you got Chase, you got Higgins, you got Mixon, you got P. Ryan, you got Boyd, and you got Hurst. Was that a fair question? Absolutely. I still think your question about the offensive line in the spring was fair because, I mean – yeah, he can point out the, the turnover battle, but the offensive line was not nearly as cohesive as it was towards the middle of the season. I don't care if if they didn't, you know, they, they still got hurt. It didn't matter. Like, he, he said he didn't play them because Joe Burrow was hurt because why risk the injury if you're not going to be able to have, you know, your full setup out there for, for preseason. But they needed it. And it was very clear, like, part of the reason why you had those turnovers was a direct cause of the offensive line not being as cohesive as it should have been. So I think you're, you were spot on, Tom. Um, I would not, I would not uh, back down from that. The, uh, the calls that he makes, I think, are also spot on, Tom. I think both of those are legitimate um, concerns. And it seemed like... He got better at it as the year went on, but, man. He got a lot better at it. Yeah. And, look, that's, you know, we've talked about it yesterday, and, and, and 
of, uh, in reference to the young red starting pitchers. Head coaches are no different. They need repetition. You'll still see guys 25 years into the game as a head coach where Andy Reid will do stuff that you, you're just like, man, it's kind of surprising. No coach is going to make every great choice. But Zach Taylor, a lot more times than not, has made the right choice. And he is the right guy to be the head football coach of this team. Now the pressure, and we talked about expectations yesterday, it's continuing to build now. Back-to-back -back AFC championships, one Super Bowl, now it's time to win it. The heat's on. Because you don't know how long at the end of the day all these guys are going to be around. The heat is on. And I think they can handle the heat. And I really like about Taylor, I have to say this, I really like guys who think outside the box. And he Leader is clearly. Who said that? You did. I didn't say that. I mean, quite clearly, you said leader of men there. Yeah, well, I liked it the way the guy steps out of the box in his thinking. And he's not afraid to try different things. He has incredible confidence, as he should, in his assistant coaches. Darren Simmons has been here 20 years, special teams coordinator. You got Brian Callahan coming back. You got your quarterback coach coming back. You got Lou Anarumo coming back. Um, all of the strength and conditioning people, your training staff, your players. He is setting the right tone down there. Why are you grinning, Casey? No. I'm saying nice things about Zach Taylor. No, I mean, it is nice to hear coming from you. But, I mean, I think what you're saying is all, all true. And it's, it's all fair points. And um, I think he is the right guy for the, for the Bengals. I... Um, still worry about what the team looks like after guys leave like Callahan and and uh you know Lou Anarumo but I think for the leader the the leading force for this team that being Zach Taylor I think that's the right guy I think he's a great character fit for the Bengals. no doubt about it they call uh the culture down there and that's referenced in this article regularly that it is fantastic everybody from Hubbard, as I mentioned, Karras, 11-year um, veteran Michael Thomas. I mean, he's been with four different organizations. He's seen it all. And he's a big wig in the Players Executive Committee representing the union. And so he knows all the rules and everything down to a T. And he just says it's, it's um, fantastic what they are doing down there. We got the big fellow ready to go. ready all right boy this is a real pleasure a real pleasure to be joined by a member i mean come on now there's only two classes that have gone into that bengal's ring of honor and he's one of the names up there the pride of auburn university and uh one of the great right tackles in the history of football um willie anderson willie how you doing man you look good how's life treating you everything's great brother thank you for having me on Thank you. Hey, listen, let's get right into what you got going on next week. Uh, your buddy John Kitna just took over right up the road from where our studios are here uh, mm -hmm. at Lakota East High School. And we know he knows a lot about quarterbacking and a lot about offense, but you know a lot about offensive line. What do you got happening? When, where? So, yeah, so um, for the past six years, I've been doing my um, 
Willie Anderson Lineman Academy, and we've been traveling around doing these football camps. We do training. Um, we, we have a scholarship service, recruiting service. So next week at Lakota East on the 30th and 31st, we're going to bring my academy up, my, my coaches, players, um, my strength team. Um, we'll have a two-day two day offensive lineman camp. Um, it's not going to be the one-on-one -on -one camps you see on, on, on Instagram or social media. It's going to be all about a teaching camp. It's going to be film work. We're going to put them in the weight room and teach them weight room uh, uh, mechanics for offensive linemen. We're going to feed them, give them, give them gloves, give them T-shirts, give them a lot of coaching. And um, hopefully for three hours a day, they'll leave there after those two days learning a lot more about offensive line play as we see it as, you know, in, in my academy. Let me ask you, Will, are you working with all age groups on the on this thing you're doing as you travel around, or are you working uh, primarily with high school guys, junior high school guys? How young and how old can they be? So I started this business off for high school kids. Uh, I then started doing some stuff with seven, eight grade kids, but I kind of see now that eight grade is kind of the limit because you you kind of you kind of can tell if a kid is going to be an offensive lineman. Um, um, by eighth grade, I think. I think also, I think eighth grade, eighth grade and up is is low enough for them for them to pick it up because these camps we're doing are not they're not the, your babysitting camps where you go to the camps, everybody have a good time. Like we're actually working and teaching. Um, those those are different from the camps you see in a uh, current NFL players throw, where it's just a community camp. Guys have a good time and all the big kids, the, the, the linemen running football. That, that, that's, 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 that's a different kind of camp. <laughs> you know, this camp is a, a working camp, and we start at eighth grade through high school. But I've been I've been work, primarily working with high school, high school, college, and pro guys. But for the camps, uh, eighth grade is the lowest we go um, uh, to seniors in high school. You know, I, I'm kind of curious. You, you talked about, you know, you know by eighth grade. I mean, clearly it starts with size. I mean, let's be honest about it, right? I, I remember when I broke my leg a number of years ago and I was going over to Beacon Orthopedics for rehab stuff and I'm sitting on a training table next to a kid whose name is Paris Johnson Jr., right? But back then the guy's in eighth grade. You can look at that dude and you're like, man, that guy's going to be an offensive lineman. There is no doubt about it. But, but when you're looking at some of these guys, Willie, uh, you know, maybe they're just uh, they're, they're tall, but they're lean. They got to get in the weight room. They got to do some things. Maybe they're a big, heavy set kid. Maybe they're too heavy, right? But they got good footwork. When, when, when you're looking at kids and, and, and maybe the first or second thing that you notice about a kid, say, starting in the eighth grade or the ninth grade, what are you looking for that says to you, Man, this guy's got a chance to do some things, whether it's, you know, Division three football, Division one football, I mean, whatever the case may be. Good high school player. Um, first thing is you're wanting to be an offensive lineman. I think at that eighth-grade level, uh, you know, sometimes the coaching at that level for that position is not that great. And a lot of times you see a lot of the bigger kids get ran out of football because – you know, just, just just being honest, they sometimes throw the worst coach on the offensive line for six, seven, eight grade kids, and just say, "Hey, just go, just go be big, and just go block them, just go be big." And there's a bunch of yelling and fussing. Sometimes kids don't want to hear that because, you know, we all want to ride in the car, ride home in the car with our mom and dad, and, our, and for our mom to know what we do, what we did that day on the football field. Sometimes some parents don't know because the offensive line is just such a secret position that. At the younger ages, it's not that fun unless the coaches make it fun and make it rewarding for the kids doing that. Because, you know, but I tell parents all the time, hey, don't worry about where your kids at in the eighth grade. 
if you if you if you if he's training with us, our goal is by tenth grade, if he has the the want to in his, in his heart, the mindset, um, by tenth grade to be a starter. And you speak of a kid, Paris Johnson. PJ Paris came down to Atlanta and stayed with me in my house for a week as a fifteen year old going into his tenth grade year. Now, when I saw him at six seven, and then he came to my workout because my brother uh, Floyd Walker, who's um, uh, Pastor Floyd Walker from Cincinnati, who was on the happiest pieces, he brought him down um, and brought him to a workout with me. And the first workout, I had to put Paris out the workout because he was that bad. Like he was, it was, it was bad. And he, he'll tell you that. But he was six foot seven, and he wasn't the biggest kid. Like, he wasn't a six foot seven, three hundred pound kid as I was. Um, but I knew he had some potential, but he was way behind. But the thing that separated guys like Paris was his mindset. He wanted to be an offensive lineman. He wasn't saying, hey, I'm getting thrown on the offensive line. No, he wanted to be an offensive lineman, and he embraced that. So the first thing I ask kids is, do you want to do this? Do you, do you want to do it? Because it's hard work. Like, people think, you know, developing, developing these kids is just some play-play stuff. It's hard work. So the, the biggest thing first is, You'll want to, because I, I don't care about. I've, I've had kids who came to me as, as eight graders, and they were five foot ten, five foot eleven, centers and guards, and their parents they had low confidence. But by the tenth grade year, he was a five foot eleven, two hundred thirty five pound starting center. Now, is that a Division One center? You know, probably not. But he has a chance to start as a high school kid. That's kind of one of the biggest things we want is to change the mindset and the confidence. For these, for these big guys, because I was, I was, a, I was a big, non-confident kid at 14 years old, at six foot five and 275 pounds, and I, I had no confidence. But I started to play really good ball my freshman year on the varsity team because I, confidence was instilled into me. So that's one of the biggest things we do at my academy, and we hope to do the same thing in the camps. So, you know, I mean, in getting the word out on this thing, and again, it's next week, and we'll give everybody uh, the information on, on how they can uh, jump online or, or, or call and, and, and get their kids or grandkids or nieces or nephews, whatever the case may be, out there. So this is well, a camp. Nieces can come. <laughs> What's that? Nieces can, yeah, that's right. Nieces can come too. Absolutely. You had girls yeah. come in there? Is that, if, if, if they want to come, I mean, hey, I've had so many women call about the women football leagues, about training. Um, I've done it before. So there, there are women football leagues and they, they have offensive linemen. And the linemen are, these, these, these women are really skilled and tough too. So, you know, so there are women football players and there are women offensive linemen. So they can come too. <laughs> Amen. Um, so when, when you, you know, you said something interesting to me because I, I think the natural reaction for some people would be, okay, this is going to be an offensive line camp for tackles. Big, huge, strong guys. But you just point out, and I think it's great, and I think it appeals, obviously, to far more people, just to think that their kid, who can be the 5'9", 5'10", guy that you just alluded to, but all of a sudden the difference it can make in, in their high school life and in the long term. Because I know that you, what you're doing is really about the long term. Yeah, if they get to D1, it's great. Yeah, if they get to the pros, even better. But we know the likelihood of that uh, at the end of the day is very, very small. There are only a select number of you out there. But what it can mean to these young people like you in getting confidence in their lives and moving forward in life. There are more of those kind of kids than – the Paris Johnson or the, you know, the Brother Jones. I just had two guys go the first round. But I've had so many guys, so many players before those two guys this year 
you know, those those just two guys that had a chance to to uh, to to make it that far. I don't even talk the NFL to high school kids. Like I don't I don't mention I mention sometimes some stories of my career, but never about hey you got to be the NFL because it's so far away, bro. Like there's so many things that have to happen for you to do. You got to go through three years of college and just picking. We see now college is so kind of crazy for these kids with the transfer portal, and you never know what's going to happen when you get to college. So I teach kids I teach kids to dominate now, to be confident now. And whatever level you on right now, let's win that level right now. If it's freaking JV football, let's be the best JV offensive line we can be, and hopefully move up. And I'm just being honest, like I haven't had a kid yet. Like you know, it sounds like bragging, but I haven't had a kid yet that signed up that wasn't starting and didn't start coming to us and 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 not become a starter. All our kids became starters. They became productive. Some kids took longer than others, but we stayed with them and we stayed with them because. It's a process. Everybody doesn't start right away. You know, some things happen. Some kids are at powerhouse high schools. Some kids may be a little bit too small, but even the smaller guys, we put that confidence into them. We teach them how to gain their gain, you know, gain gain confidence and be confident in themselves and their ability. And what I've learned is, once you teach a, a young guy a skill set, it, it breeds confidence. Because I always say, I think the offensive line is, is the toughest position to play, the toughest skill to learn in all the sports besides probably hitting the baseball. And if you think about it, moms and dads don't go outside with their kids to go play blocking. No one plays blocking. <laughs> you know yeah, I mean? yeah, right, 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 right. <laughs> Everyone right. goes outside play. They play catch, they throw the football, they rush the passer, they want to defend the passer. No one goes outside and say, hey, man, let's go out and play blocking. So it's something that you have to want to do. And uh, I think as you go up, the levels go up. You get a chance to get high rewards. Like, you know, um, you mentioned Paris earlier. When I, when I first met Paris and started training him, he didn't even start his, his sophomore. He didn't, he didn't start the, the, the last four or five games of his sophomore year at uh, St. X. And then going to his junior year, he started. And then all the awards and accolades started to come because he became a better player. So it takes time to development. But I, but I tell people, you know, this is the toughest skill to coach, teach, and learn. And I think in all the sports. You know, uh, so much, and, I, and I, I've been around Anthony Munoz a lot uh, through the years just because we both lived in this town, you know, nearly forever. And and I remember, I, in fact, I, I announced one year in the NFL with him when Fox first started way back in 1994. He was my partner. And he used to talk mm -hmm. all the time, Willie, you are always just this big guy. Anthony was a big guy, but he wasn't big like you're big. Uh, and he talked about how he thought he played his best when he was a little bit more on the lighter side. Have offensive linemen gotten too big? No, they've actually gotten smaller. They're, 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 they're no linemen. You, you, don't see, you don't see them in the linemen with the body type I had. I'm smaller now than I was when I played. But um, there, there are not many six foot six, 340-pound tackles that, that like, the guys I see now, like, just for instance, this year, um, I had, um, we had seven, eight guys that get drafted out of my academy this year. Uh, if you see these guys' bodies, like, you wouldn't think these guys were NFL tackles, but you think they may be. Like, if you see Paris Johnson and you see uh, Roger Jones, these guys are six foot six, 312, 13 pounds. You know what I mean? Um, I was 305 pounds as a 15-year-old. So, you know what I mean? I, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So times are definitely different. I think I think guys are 
I think you see more and more offensive linemen now that are changing positions. That are guys like you think a guy like Lane Johnson, who's all pro left right tackle for the for the Eagles. Lane was a high school quarterback. Um, Titus Howard, uh, the right tackle from the um, the, um, the Texans, played at Alabama State. He was a high school quarterback. So I see more guys changing positions from defensive linemen to offensive linemen. I, I think now the guys now have to be a lot more lighter athletic because the guy, the rushers are changing up. You know, when I first came to the NFL, all the rushers in, in 96, the rushers were the Michael Strahan type bodies, Richie White type bodies. As I got older, the mid part of my career, I started seeing guys like Julius Peppers and Javon Curses. These guys are six foot six, 270 running four threes. At the end of my career, I started to see guys like Robert Mathis and Dwight Freeman. Um, James Harris, these guys are six foot one, six two, um, just off the edge, giving you moves that you've never seen before. So as an older guy, I was like, yeah, it's time for me to retire. These guys are getting fast as hell. <laughs> and they're doing they're doing moves that we didn't see 10 years ago. So as it, as it changes, as it, as it, the position evolved, um, you know what I mean? Guys are different. Like Anthony, Anthony, Anthony was considered a big guy back when he played. But I played a 340. He wasn't 340. Like that, in my era, 340 was. That, that's, that's big guys. You know, yeah. you know John DeAlvin played at 340. Uh, um, you know, all these guys were big tackles. Our era was a big era of big tackle because we came to the league when it was a running running game first, but then it then it slowly changed over. Like for us, I always say when we got Carson in 05, 03, and we paid him that money in 05, the, the objective changed from pounding the football with Corey Dillon and Rudy to protect Carson at all costs. And I think now today's NFL alignment are built to protect the quarterback at all costs. Let me ask you one more question about uh, about offensive line play. And you talked about changing positions. And, of course, a big hot topic around here right now. I mean, you still follow the Bengals. You know what's going on. You know, they bring in Orlando Brown Jr. He's going to be the starting left tackle, Pro Bowl player. Great sign. Uh, enough said. Uh, now the decision uh, for Jonah Williams, going from where he's only played as a left tackle to right tackle. What will be his biggest challenge going from left to right? Uh, I was, I was, um, I've been training um, Evan Neal for the Giants, um, one of one of Jonah's former Alabama guys who done the same thing in college. Evan was a right tackle as a freshman, but his last two years played left, similar to Jonah. Uh, once Evan got to the NFL last year, the, the Giants had Andrew Thomas already, so he had to move the right tackle. And what I realized in working with him off, this offseason was he spent the whole spent the whole last season as a rookie trying to flip everything over in his brain. Because as a as a left tackle, your right leg is, is, is your up your up leg in your stance. That's your dominant leg. So when you change over to the right side, your left leg now becomes your dominant leg. And it's weird to say, but it's like using a different part of your brain that you didn't use, use before because you're changing size. Um, I watched guys at the Pro Bowl. I watched John DeAlden and these guys who are Pro Bowl left tacklers. I'm playing at the Pro Bowl with them, and we all rotate three tackles. We, we rotate positions. So when I watch these guys who are Hall of Famers now come over to the right side, and they get worked <laughs> because it's a different position. Like they're good over there, but coming to the right side, it changes their whole brain up. Their whole body has to change up. And which side of my body is my dominant side? It's a weird thing. Like you know. Um, when Levi Jones and I used to play, we used to always you know, laugh about how the exact things 
least I played, at least I was on left tackle, I was the right. But the exact things, opposite of his body hurt, hurted me, the exact same place, but opposite of my body. So my left hip hurt me, he had a bad right hip. Right. I had a bad left shoulder, he had a bad right shoulder. It's because of the nature of the position. So the biggest thing for Jonah's going to be, he's been stuck in that left-hand stance for so long. Um, and then I don't know for sure, uh, has he been in OTAs? I don't know. I, I saw No, he's Lyle. not. He has not been. Yeah, Lyle so, is there and Jackson Carmen is there. Yeah. I, I saw Lyle taking sets of the day and he, he looked pretty good. Um, um, so, you know, I think Jonah needs those reps. I think the, the biggest thing is going to be getting those reps and getting live reps versus guys. So, so that part of your brain can kind of sh turn on to learn how to use that side of your body because it's really literally using a different part of your body. That's why guys come in, come in the game and folks say, you hear, media, you hear media people say, well, he can't play left tackle. It's not true. He's been practicing at right tackle and the stances are so different that getting thrown in the game at the last minute is a hard thing to adjust to. All right, I, I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna throw you on the spot from from a name standpoint here, but but I do want to ask you this: Collins has played right tackle his entire career, okay, and he has been a good player in this league, sometimes a great player in this league for a long time. Um, if you just had three guys coming in to battle for the right tackle position, I I'm leaving the names out of this. But would you? But would you think at the end of the day, the best chance for success, if all things are equal, the best chance of success would be for the guys that have played left tackle before, as opposed to a guy who's moved from another position. Yeah, you know, I mean, Carmen, for example, was a, was a guard. He was a tackle in college. He goes to guard in the pros. He comes back, plays tackle last year's left side after the injuries, and now he's gonna come over and try and win the job on the right side. Would the guys who have been there before naturally just have an advantage? At guys who've been at the position at right tackle? Yeah. Um I mean everything's according to the person individual. You know what I mean? And we, we can never we can, we can never, like I said earlier about off the high school guys having having to want to you never can you never can judge a guy's want to. So if if a high level guy wants to do something, he wants to do it, and his heart's in, his mindset's in it, it's gonna be hard to beat out a high level guy who's has the right kind of mindset who wants to do it. Mm -hmm. So um in, in saying that, like, you know, um just never know, man. Like you just never know like um a guy's ability to turn a switch on. Um, you know, because you know, because you know, Jonah has played a lot of football. And has a lot of professional pride. I mean, yep. and and I can't say if he wants to play that position, I can't say he won't win it out. But at the same time, I understand the guy, if Lyle is is healthy and he's competing, I think the advantage kind of goes to him because he's been at that spot already and been really good at the spot already. I got to ask you one more question before we tie a ribbon around your time today, and we certainly thank you. I read a long time ago, but I got to ask you, is this true? Did you actually once bench press 675 pounds? Is that true? <laughs> I, have, I have no clue where that comes from. Oh, oh no really? So that's I, nonsense. I don't even, even want to even bench that much weight. Like. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame the, you. The, All most, right. the, most would, the most I would bench was maybe, and I got long arms, so, so benching, benching is hard for long arm guys. 
You know what I mean? So I, I probably bitched in 470. I think one day went to Keo one day. To to to, to Keo, maybe like 450. To 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 Keo, to Keo was more than me. You know what I mean? But but the long the long arm guys have a hard time benching. That's why benching it to me is not a true test of one's football strength because the long arm guys have a dis have a disadvantage. But I saw that one time too. I was like, yo, where did that come from? Like I have in, in, in college, I used to fake back injuries to not lift heavy on my back. <laughs> I, saw, I saw a teammate of mine blow his back out squatting. And I said, oh, no, I'm, hell no. I never made the NFL in here with these weight coaches trying to get us to, to bench um, these these Olympic weight records. I, I don't want to do that. I'm trying to get to the NFL. So I, I would fake back injuries in college to keep from lifting heavy. So I've never wanted to lift heavy in my life. So, well, I, think, no. I think it was a good decision, Willie. I think you did all right for yourself, man. Okay, it's the Willie Anderson Lineman Academy, the O-Line Summit. It is going to be uh, next week out at Lakota East High School. And again, the dates are May the 30th, May the 31st. How would somebody uh, sign up, whether it's online, phone call, how would they do that? They can go to eventbrite.com and put in um, eventbrite.com and, and put in those words just said, the Willie Anderson Lineman Academy. Um, the O-Line Summit. And here's the promo code I want to give your listeners to, a promo code for uh, um, your, your, your viewers um, of um, the, the promo code is uh, promo. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> the promo code is promo for um, a, a discount on there. And uh, like I say, you're getting two days of work. It's, it's not a babysitting camp. It's not one of the camps. The kids go drop off and just go. Everybody get a t-shirt. We're going to work. The coach is going to be working. We're going to give you tons of information. And it's the exact same as me. If I was to come train guys in your city, you know what I mean? I think this is a really good deal. Um, and I, we're going to feed the kids. Everybody, everyone's getting, um, all the campers are getting gloves. They're getting T-shirts I'm wearing right here. You know what I mean? So it's going to be a really good thing. But go to event, eventbrite.com, sign up, use the promo code PROMO to get your discount. All right. Willie, we really thank you for your time today. We wish you the best of luck in the camp. It's fantastic what you're doing for young people and even for guys that are, you know, in college knocking on the door and even guys who are already up there and trying to get better. Uh, and we really appreciate your time today. All the best to you, Willie. Godspeed ahead, my friend. Thank you. Who day? Who day indeed. We'll see how it goes this year. Willie Anderson, one of the all-time great Bengals. He was on the uh, 40th anniversary team, 50th anniversary team, He's one of the great Bengals in franchise history, and that's why they've only had two classes in the Ring of Honor. Uh, and he went in the second one. Uh, what a delightful guy. I've never had a chance to talk to him before. What a good dude. That was really cool. It was really special for him to come on. Wasn't that interesting what he said, though, about going left tackle to right tackle? Speaking yeah. your language, Casey. Yeah, I mean, Casey, I mean, you, were, you were locked in on that part. Of course. I mean, he was saying things that I – most people would maybe not realize I I've known for a while that that was a, a thing that it's a, a very difficult to switch from right to left, especially at tackle. And that's just why I'm, again, I was already out on Jonah on the left side. Not, not that we're going to get into this discussion right now, because we're going to have Ron uh, Coomer come on here in a second, but I mean, it, he's not even there. He's not getting reps. We really expect Jonah to play right tackle and be good? Well, know. you know, the I thing don't... that stands out for me that I heard there, and, and look, th th this isn't anything in life. I don't care if you're a sales guy. Uh, I don't care if you're an electrician. 
It doesn't matter. A musician, anything. Do you want to be great? And I got to tell you, you know, for me, and I have been a Jonah Williams defender on this program, that he's played hurt. You heard Willie say a second ago, he has professional pride. There's no doubt about it. But I got to tell you, him not being here right now, and look, I don't know the guy. And, and he wouldn't be where he is as a starting left tackle and played at Alabama and won national championships and played for Nick Saban and played in the NFL and played his ass off and gave you everything that, that you could ask from. He got hurt his rookie year. And that gets back to something we talked about earlier too with Zach Taylor, the way he's doing things. Jonah Williams lost his rookie year because he got hurt in OTAs. Right. So, you know, all this kind of circles around, right? But I, I just say to myself, man, here you got Lyle Collins, who's been in the league. And I don't know him either. But he's been in the league forever. He has had a great NFL career. He's coming off an ACL injury. He doesn't have to be here. He would get an excuse, okay, an excused absence, like from school, right? To not be here. But the guy's here. Jackson Carmen's here. Now, he's got to be here. But he, he's here. Where is Jonah Williams? What does that say? If anything, I don't know. But just from the outside looking in, to me, I mean, we made the comment on this show three, four weeks ago. The Jonah Williams should have been in here meeting with Joe Walter, right? If I had the Bengals, I'd have flown Willie Anderson to town. The Bengals would have done it. I'd have flown Willie Anderson into town and had him sit down for four or five days with Jonah Williams and basically walk through in greater detail everything he just shared with us. Your mind has to basically flip the sides of your brain and what that means, right? Does that mean, you know, you heard him talk about the left knee as opposed to the right knee hurting. The left hit, the right hit. Left shoulder, right shoulder. All these things. I mean, Lyle Collins is out there busting his tail, man. And I'll just tell you, for me, if I'm Zach Taylor, and I'm not, obviously, if I'm Zach Taylor and that coaching staff, as we sit here today, if there is indeed a competition, for the right tackle spot. Now, that can be open to interpretation based on health, okay? Uh, and whether Collins is going to be full speed, ready to roll come training camp from the ACL. It happened late in the year. So it would be a remarkable recovery if he's ready for a man his size. This isn't like some wide receiver coming back from an ACL who weighs 190 pounds. This is a 300-plus pound man. And he's up there in his 30s. But, I mean, if all things were equal and they're all healthy for me as I sit here today, if I had to make a depth chart, Jonah Williams for me is third on that depth chart. I agree. I agree 100%, Tom. I I don't care that he's making 12 point whatever million dollars. I don't. 
everyone knows in the chat, if you've been listening to our show, that I wanted to ship him for a seventh rounder. I just wanted him off the roster because of the money thing. But I'm going to put out whoever is the best player at the current moment. And I don't, I don't think that's Jonah. I really don't. But they won't know because he's not there. Yep. And I, I get... I get why he's not there because he wants either a long-term deal and not to be switched over to the left ta- or to the right tackle spot, but it's almost the exact same argument that you have with players sitting out like a season to sit on the franchise tag or to to not play on the franchise tag. It's the same premise almost. If he does not do the mandatory stuff, he's not going to be ready, and then if he comes in training camp and he stinks it up i really have a hard time thinking the Bengals will actually play him i think they would go carmen or collins if he's healthy enough over over jonah but but where does the money come in i mean let's be honest about it here now i mean collins is making a lot of money yeah carmen not yet but if you know you're committed to pay a guy, now you can make the flip side of the argument. Hey, we're paying him $12.5 million. What the hell is the difference? If he wants to play and he plays well, he'll play. If he doesn't, we got to pay him $12.5 million anyway. So he can sit over there and watch with the rest of them exactly where he was during OTAs. Am I being unfair to Williams? Wondering why he's not here? I don't think so. I mean, he's coming back from knee surgery. I mean, let's be fair now. It wasn't an ACL tear, but twice during the year, he dislocated his kneecap. The first time, he didn't miss a snap. He kept playing. So you got to give it up to the guy for that. There's clearly pride involved there. Uh, and he you know, wanted to get out there and protect his quarterback uh, and help his team win a Super Bowl. The second time it happened, he couldn't come back. And, and there's no knock on him in any form or fashion in that regard. But I just... I, I always wonder what kind of advice guys get and who they're getting their advice from. You know, the agent sends out the day they sign Orlando Brown Jr., Jonah wants out of here. Well, all right. We'll get back to this in a little bit later on. Uh, One of my favorite guys that that, that I had a chance to meet and be around uh, in all my years of broadcasting, uh, I didn't know him much as a player, uh, but got to know him as a broadcaster. He was an outstanding player, played in the big leagues for nine years, and Illinois kid, born and raised, and now what? Is this year number 10, Ron Coomer, for you in the Cubs? <laughs> I can't believe it. Yeah. It was like yesterday I was in Minnesota doing your stuff with the Twins, and I got a call from Pat Hughes, who's still my partner, who is now joining your father in the Hall of Fame, in the Baseball Hall of Fame, but yeah. Ten years, Tommy. It goes by in the snap of a finger, buddy. You know, Ronnie, and you know how close I was to Sano because I I announced the games. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, but but it's funny because we have the same kind of thing here in this town where Joe Nuxall, legendary figure, right, Mm -hmm. was in the booth uh, before my dad was there and then with my dad for 40 years, whatever it was. And, you know, you always wondered, could they find the guy to replace him and the right guy? Well, the Reds brought in Jeff Brantley, and that has without a doubt been the right guy. Um, it, it took the right kind of guy to come in there for Ron Santo. And, 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 and I mean, I've said it whether you were in the room or not, but I mean, they couldn't have picked a guy who I think understood 
the Cubs understood Chicago, understood that whole thing along with the personality, then bringing you in. Well, it's nice to say. I don't know if I've quite filled all of those roles, but I am a Chicago guy. There's no doubt about that. You can hear it come out every now and then. Um, and, and, you know, the other thing, too, is, you know, I was friends with Ronnie Sano. We were yep. buddies. I was a third baseman in the league, and he was broadcasting my games. And you'd be on that team playing, and he'd come walking to the back of the plane. <laughs> hey, big boy, we're, we're going to dinner tonight. We're in Cincy. We're going to the hill. We're going here. Okay, Ron. Yep, yep got it. <laughs> and off yep. you go. And three hours of dinner later and a couple bottles of red wine yep. and, and hanging out and storytelling, as you know very well. Ronnie and I were buddies. I was friends with his kids. Uh, you know, I knew, um, I know his sons. And they said, I, and there's no replace. I think the biggest thing for people to understand when you're in my shoes or doing any of it, you don't replace people like Ron Sano, I think. You enjoy what Ron did. You give him all the praise in the world because he deserved it. And you'd be you. You'd be Ron Coomer. And that's what I am. And I'm a Chicago kid who played here and loves Wrigley Field and has been going to Wrigley Field since I was four years old. So I'm pretty pretty at home there. You know, I got to ask you, though, because you did do some TV work, as you mentioned, up there in, uh, in, in Minnesota. Is there a difference? I get asked this from time to time, but I think that the Cub thing is unique. And, and I was fortunate enough to be there for six years, mm -hmm. and, and you've been down there for 10 now, and you grew up there. Is, is there a difference between broadcasting Cubs games compared to, say, Twins games or maybe some other team's games? I, I only have two to judge it by Minnesota. People are very – there's a lot to do in Minnesota. You know, the, the 10,000 lake thing, a lot of fishermen, a lot of hunters, a lot of stuff going on. And for years they were accustomed to the Metrodome. So I don't think the fan in Minnesota is fa as fanatical as our Cub fans, and we know that. I, I just think that has an edge to it of being a Cub fan that we have, and it's never going to go away. And now that the Cubs have won, that's even more so. So, so I think um, there is a difference. There's They're much more intense, but – um, at the end of the day, there's still baseball fans. And the, the cool part about all this is we have Wrigley Field to go to day in and day out. And that's that's the part that I, I love uh, along with, you know, being with the Cubs. Um, you were drafted, I think it was the 14th round, by the Oakland Athletics. They, you play for them for one year and they let you go. How does that happen? Well, Oakland – I was drafted out of, out of a junior college in California, but I had already ruptured my ACL. So I was kind of damaged goods. I was one of the leading hitters in the country, blah, blah, blah. Like every big league player, right? We're all good. That's just the way it is. But I had ruptured my ACL my freshman year, played my uh, the rest of the – or played my sophomore year in a brace. They drafted me without an ACL. So there was some things going on, and then eventually I – Ended up with the White Sox and then got traded to the Dodgers. The Dodgers moved me to Minnesota. But in that time, I got my knee fixed. And you're never the same player when you have a major injury like that. But, you know, I could still hit. I could still play. And, you know, thank God I stayed healthy enough somewhat to play a long time, whether it be the minor leagues for seven years or the big leagues for, you know, almost ten. Yeah. 
You know, you took the words right out of my mouth about the minor leagues for seven years. You know, we saw that story. I know you saw the story because it was inside the National League Central of the kid from Pittsburgh who was in the minor leagues forever. Yeah, uh, and, I mean, yeah. there there had to be a small part of you. You weren't in the minor leagues that long. But there had to be a part of you that said, man, uh, wow, that's great stuff. It's incredible. It's a, it's, it's, it's a story. And you looked at him, and he still, you know, he – he was in great shape. He's still fully invested in playing baseball. And he, there, there was a, a guy that told me a long, long time ago when I was a kid, right before the draft, he said, you know, if you get drafted and you don't sign, you'll never get another chance. Well, there's some good words I could use for that guy because I didn't abide by any of that. I just, no one tells you what you can do. That's my message to all kids. You decide. And I think for that kid in Pittsburgh, he decided he was going to be a big league baseball player and be a baseball player and be a lifer in our game. And God bless him. Right. Um, and now he's a big league ball player. And that is just cool to me. It really, really is. All right. Let's talk about um, the Cubs and Red Series. I know the Cubs play tonight, but the series begins yep. tomorrow at uh, Wrigley Field. Well, if, an overall macro state of the union, if you will, of the mm-hmm. Chicago Cubs through the first two months, what would it be? Uh, the word roller coaster comes to mind probably more so than anything. Uh, like our whole division, right? We've had some good and some bad. And, you know, who would guess St. Louis would be towards the bottom? You know, Pittsburgh would have been towards the top for the first month. Now they're having some issues. But for the Cubs, I would say this. They get off to a great start. Some of their veteran guys have done very well. Some of the bullpen arms that were veterans um, have gotten off to a shaky start. So to me, in our division, everybody's got some some hiccups. Um, the Cubs bullpen right now, as we saw in this last road trip, had some problems. And they've got to correct that if they're going to even think after All-Star break of being buyers and possibly staying in this race. But you know, it's, it's, it's been a roller coaster ride. You know, it's interesting, Ronnie, because, um, you know, for a lot of the big market teams, I think it's harder to sell the idea to a fan base of a rebuild. Team won the World Series. Uh, They had some of the great stars in the game and Baez and Rizzo and Bryant, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. John Lester was on his game on and on and on and on. Well, look, guys get older, you move them on, you make a decision, that kind of thing. When you just mentioned about if they're in the hunt, I mean – unless the wheels just completely fall off or Milwaukee rips off, you know, Mm -hmm. 21 out of 28, I'm not so sure everybody's not going to be in the hunt. So knowing the Cubs have kind of sold this rebuild, would the fans there, do you think, be expecting them to be buyers because they are a big market team? Or or are they just okay with where we are? We're going to try to keep this thing going with our game plan in mind and not deviate from it. No, I think the fans expect the Cubs to be buyers. Absolutely. Um, the COVID thing put a little damper on where the Cubs were going. I think all those contracts of those guys you mentioned all came up the same year. Four guys came up in the same year. So they unloaded. They, they made a decision at the, also, at the break that it wasn't working out. Cubs had a terrible West Coast trip of three cities. They were going into the West Coast trip years ago as buyers, came out sellers. Um, so they unloaded. Um, unfortunate, but it is what it is. So that takes a couple of years to rebuild. Cubs are in that in that position now. I do agree, though. I think when you're a large market team and you're the Chicago Cubs, this fan base after 2016 expects you to be 
a winner, expects you to be buyers and expect you to be in the race. And I think that's okay. That's what you should expect out of yourself. And I think Cubs will be buyers. Cincinnati, what are you, six games out right now? Cubs are yep. four and a half or four. You're right. Anybody that gets hot here in the middle of the season for two weeks could land themselves in first place. So everybody's in the race. The Cubs should be, and I expect them to be buyers um, here coming up. Okay, well, based on what you've seen through two months, and you've been around the game forever, you know how things can change in any, you know, in any specific area of your club, whether it's bullpen, starters, offense, et cetera, uh, defense. If you were to just look at this team right now and you said, okay, I think that they could be vastly improved if they addressed this area. I mean, today as we talk, is that the bullpen, or would you look somewhere else? I would say bullpen first. And then you've got to decide what the starting pitching is going to look like. The Cubs, I believe, as of tomorrow, are going to get Kyle Hendricks back in the rotation. So that's like a that's a big trade for the Cubs, right? In, in essence, they haven't seen Kyle since August of last year, and now you're going to get a guy that has great World Series experience and success pitching for you again, and it's very healthy. They did not rush him back, so that's a positive. Uh, so they're going to get Kyle back. They're going to need some bullpen arms and some veteran arms that understand pitching late in, late in the ball games. I think that's been the somewhat of the Achilles heel for the Cubs and, and David Ross. Who do you go to in those situations? Years past, it's worked out when you've signed a bunch of veteran arms. They've been able to rejuvenate their career a little bit here in Chicago. That hasn't quite worked out yet this year with Fulmer and Boxberger, but you know, it still could, but you know it hasn't worked out. Bullpen is first and foremost, I think. If you don't address that, you know, all the starting pitching in the world can't fix, uh, you know, three to two loss when you lose a game in the eighth or ninth. You know, isn't it funny about bullpen, guys? We were talking here on the show the other day, and, and, and you know, when you, when you ask certain guys to do certain things, Ronnie, that maybe they just, for whatever reason, and it's not a knock on the guy that they can't do it, but it just, you know, and David Weathers is the example that I'm using here in Cincinnati. You remember David? I mean, David Weathers oh, yeah, had an yeah. outstanding major league career, man. Yeah. And, and, you know, when you yeah. asked him to do his job as a setup guy, he was one of the best setup guys in baseball for eight or ten years, falling out of bed, 60, 70 games, ERA, 3-1, 3-2, 3-3. Those are the guys that help you win pennants. Yeah, a closer, you need one and you want a good one, no doubt. But those guys that you're handing the ball, especially in the game today, in the oftentimes sixth, if not seventh and eighth innings, that's a difference, I think, in the game now, oftentimes between uh, getting into playoffs and missing the playoffs. You agree with that? Without question, period. If you don't have that guy that bridges the gap, when you have a one, two, or three-run lead, sixth, seventh, and eighth inning, if you don't have those guys, you are not going to be a successful big league team. It's just not going to happen. Um, David, old Stormy Weathers, he was one of my favorite great teammates, great sinker. When I was playing third base and he was pitching and they had a righty up, I'm like, here we go. You're ready. <laughs> Ground ball's coming to you, brother. And, you know, we would laugh on the field. He had a great personality. We had some fun together. Uh, big fan. But you're right. That that role. And, and the other thing, too, about that, Tommy, that I feel, and is exactly right, There's not everybody is built to be a closer. They're just not. As a third baseman, you're the last guy with the baseball, and you give it to the pitcher. And you can see some guys that are closing, and you go, oh, boy, 
this is not going to work out well for us. And the inning hasn't started yet. And then you give it to another guy who has half the stuff, and you go, we got this. Yep. This game's over. It just is what it is. I, I don't, you know, that's the psychology of our game that makes our game so great. But hey, how do you, that's how do you the like, way it is. How do you like the new rules? Uh, I like them somewhat. I get a little frustrated. I saw some of the things that happened, uh, was it yesterday or two days ago with the pitch clock? Um, Kimbrell on the mound, did you see that? I mean, here, here's the I, I love that it speeds up our game and it, 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 it gets us into that 2.30 range of game times. And I think for the fans and everybody, it, it's a better presentation. Yep. I, I really believe that. I, I think you would, you know, we all look at that and say that's better. But here's the problem. We forgot the common sense rule, right? The, the, the common sense rule of giving the, the, the crew chief the ability to go, no, that's not right. We can't have a strike call, an out over something that we were all arguing. And now the guy goes to home plate. Oh, by the way, I forgot to reset the clock. The clock went off and now it's a strike or a ball or move base, base runners out. Come on, we somebody's got to be in the commissioner's office and say we need to give the guys on the field uh, an ability to say that's just not right. Let's move on. The Marvin Hudson thing a couple nights ago, he calls timeout, and you're like, if I was at home plate, I, I know I'd have been thrown, but but quicker because I just you know, and then the catcher. I mean, everybody's looking around, going, you know. I just – got to have some common sense in our game. If we're going to change the rules and make the game different, there's got to be an ability for somebody to look at a, a video and say, yeah, that's not right. Mm-hmm. We've got to go back. Let's just replay the play. It looks kind of goofy, but you can't have what happened in the last few days happen continuously. Could you imagine if that's game seven of the World Series? No. We've all no, been there, I can't. Right? Oh, my no, gosh. I can't. No, Ooh. no. No, no. Could you imagine about. Chicago in Wrigley Field if that oh. would have went against the Cubs in no. Game Seven of the World Series? No. Poor Bartman, he's still hiding in Florida. Could you imagine <laughs> what happened with that? Oh Lord, yeah, I did that series. I remember it well. I remember yeah, I it well. I know you did. That's why I brought I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. Well, Ronnie, it is great seeing. You. I thank you so much for your time, man. It's always delightful to Thanks see your really. face and hear your voice, and all the best, my friend. We'll look forward to catching you this weekend. Same, same to you, buddy. Tommy, great to talk to you. And tell your pops, I said, I, I miss our conversations in a booth. So great to talk to you. Thank you. Ron Coomer, kind enough to join us from Chicago. Cubbies and the Red Legs begin a series tomorrow at Wrigley Field. That guy is just awesome, man. And what I said earlier about him replacing Ron Santo, I think you got to be old enough to kind of appreciate that or maybe be somebody who followed the Cubs or listened to the Cubs on radio or whatever it might be. They could not have found the more perfect guy to replace Santo, who was as popular, more popular than any player on the team. I mean, they had Sammy and they had it all going on. Nobody was more popular with the fans than Santo. Him and Harry, that was it. Um, all right, Ham and Eggers. We got uh, Tracy at 1130. Mr. President, take it away. It's that time of the show, the Ham and Eggers. These guys are great, trust me, I would know. I introduce all the best segments. Well, we had Willie Anderson on the show before Ron, so it's time for the Bengals report, and that's brought to you by Encore Technologies. 
Encore Technologies provides IT solutions for a data-centered world with a suite of services from mobile computing to desktop to data center, supporting both centralized and work-from-home computing models to improve efficiency and, Jacob? Productivity. Oh, Casey? Productivity. That's right. Look at that. Look at the whole crew in line. Visit Encore.tech. The path to innovation begins here. There is also a new premium alkaline water out. Drinking so much of it now, I have to put it in a whole big thing here. 34 ounces of it. Ooh, that's two bottles. That's a lot. I think a it's lot. 34. At least that's what it says. It's Pawnee. And it is a water that is made right across the street from us, right here in downtown Hamilton. It uses natural limestone filtration, unlike the artificial processing that many other brands use. And the result is a healthy alkaline water that is also the best tasting water in the world. Mm, keeping you on your toes today, Casey. Visit their website at pawneywater.com. That is P-A-H-H-N-I water.com. P-A-H-H-N-I water.com to see where you can buy this great tasting water. And again, we've talked a lot about it. They're the official water of the River's Edge Concert Series this summer. So they will be your exclusive water provider if you are here and going to the Taylor Swift concert right across the street. I don't know when that is. I'm committed to that, but I don't know when that is. I don't either. Maybe Reed can help us out in the chat. Um, But yeah, they have a great lineup all summer long. They'll be there. They'll be all over the city. If you ever find some Pawnee water, make sure you take a picture of it and send it in to us. Tweet us. Um... So, yeah, drink Pawnee water, get your coffee from UDF, bet with Bedfred, and get your technology solutions from Encore.tech. There's a River's Edge concert tonight. Wow. Okay, so Steve Ross. Yes, Taylor Swift will be at Paycor on June 30th. I will be there. But Taylor Swift will also be right across the street in the River's Edge concert series someday this summer. She's she's circling back for another stop. Yeah. Just a little nice little little uh, event here down in Hamilton. You know, I wonder how that works when you get an artist that's that big and then let's just say, let's let's just humor me for a second mm-hmm. and say Taylor Swift was scrolling through Hamilton, Ohio's the Chamber of Commerce and they see the website with the concert lineup for the summer and she sees her name yeah. July 9th. What's she thinking? Man, I got to go back to Hamilton. I guess I got to play another concert. I think she's excited. Huh? Absolutely. I can't wait. Tom, you know, I, I got to say, I've been drinking this water here. I've been drinking more of this Pawnee water here. We're out to, around here, by the way. I'm trying to, yeah. I've been trying to, to stay a little more hydrated than I have been normally. Well, you got to be able to do the play-by-play doubleheaders after a long day here. I mean, yeah. you got to be hydrated and ready to go. Yeah, no doubt. Well, I will say, I can commiserate with the amount of water and, and the amount of uh, bathroom breaks needed with this one. I'm sitting here. I'm dying right now. <laughs> you mean you got to go to the bathroom? Yeah. Well, you're allowed to go. Go. No, but Nobody's I, holding you back. I'm just saying. Well, I mean, you, are you like tethered to that chair? No, no, no. What's I'm the just deal? saying. I'm just saying. I, I, I can commiserate with, with the. We're not, we're everybody just barely, staying hydrated. We're barely half past the show. I know. We're powering through. <laughs> I couldn't believe I made it a, a, an hour and 11 minutes. I know. I'm giving you That's kudos. bad when we have back to back guests. 
Because, look, a lot of you out there know. Now, Paul's a young man. But, I mean, you guys know. You get a little older, start knocking on the door in your 50s, 60s, you know. I mean, it's not like you can feel it coming and you're okay for a while. It's like right now. And yet you're in the middle of an interview. Got to go. Got to go. Not cutting time. You got to go. Tom, how about the uh, Cincinnati Red Legs last night? Ten runs, 18 hits. Yep. Whole lineup produced. Spencer Steer, four hits, four yep. for five. Nice night all the way around. Well, really good night all the way around. And, and I think, by and large, we, we talked about this. They've been, a, they've been a lot better on offense this year than I thought they were going to be. Now, they're not great. Don't get me. In fact, in most categories, and I was looking through the numbers yesterday, whether it's runs, on base percentage, slugging percentage, batting average, they are in the bottom seven or eight teams in Major League Baseball. So, I mean, we're not talking about, you know, if somebody would have said at the beginning of the year, me included, that these are going to be their ranks, I'd have said, yeah, that's about right. But it just seems like for some reason, you know, they went through the home run drought there for a long time, and the long ball still is elusive. But... I still think they've been better on offense than I thought they were going to be. And I know some of the people that, that really follow the stats would say, what are you talking about? All those categories, they stink. But it just feels like. Am I wrong on that? Maybe it's just because they've been more competitive in general than I thought they were going to be. Well, I mean, they, they go through spurts, right? I, I mean, that, that's just the nature of baseball, too. But it really feels like when they are – competitive they're they're like they they can stay in games for a very long time and it feels like they only lose they're not getting blown out as much as you thought there's a lot of really close matchups you know just one run lost games and we've talked about that a couple times but at least on offense like you said i mean as of late i really do feel like the the boost with mclean kind of helped no doubt. Um, How about that and, home run last night? Yeah. Off the glove. Nah, I know. The Canseco special. That's right. <laughs> well, I didn't hit him in the head. You know, I talked about the uh, parlay I had the night before where I just needed the Reds to win. I would have won a big parlay. If I would have done the exact same one last night, I would have won again. Well, I isn't won that the nature of gambling in, in a nutshell? Is I that know. not the nature of gambling? I only would have fill in the blank. I know, but it's just like, right? come on. How, how, can, how can it just be like, it was almost like a slap in the face that they did that well. Like, why couldn't they have done that the night before? Just one 10 to two or whatever the score was, 10 to three. Why couldn't they have done that the night I made that parlay, huh? So do you have some action today? I will. I, I, I don't have anything currently up my sleeve at the moment, but there will be some sort of bet with the Reds. I just don't. Uh, Businessman special. Ooh, you want twelve thirty-five. That's right. It is a business person special. Hmm. We going down right after this? I can't. I got to go to Presco. You got you got big league baseball today. Big league college baseball. Casey's going. Yeah, You're going today? Go, yeah, I'm going to go to Presco. Gonna go, oh, you're going to Prasco. Yeah. Okay. I'm okay. going to go enjoy some uh, some La Rosa's. Today's La Rosa's day. Last night was Montgomery Inn. Today's La Rosa's. And that's in the media room. No, no. Everybody. We mean everybody. That's Prasco's deal. Everybody gets the free food. Yeah, it's a, it's a Mason special. Free it's food, a, free admission. 
Well, they're printing money over there at Prasco. Yeah. That's not a surprise. Yeah. Everybody last night, every person that came to Prasco last night got a plate of free Montgomery in. Which is just crazy. I, I would have totally been all over that. but Now tonight it's two slices of La Rosa's. Sounds good. Free ice cream. Free so ice if cream. you just show up, you get two pieces of pizza for free. Yeah. Last and you night, don't pay to get in or you pay to get in? No. No. Free admission. All the food there is free. But you can't go back and get two more. Well, I mean, it, there was 4,000 people there. I don't know who's going to remember Well, that. I, okay. All right. I mean, I think they would like you in the spirit of the affair yes. to yes. only take two. But yes. it's not like you're getting a ticket and you got to redeem it or however it works. Well, it's pretty big league. Yeah. No, it's more than pretty big league. It's very big league. Big East Conference Baseball Tournament Action. Free ice cream, too. They got uh, shaved ice, ice cream, soft serve. They got uh, inflatables for the kids. And they have the hot dogs. and Yeah, they do have stuff. just like regular burgers and hot dogs for free, too. Sodas. Yeah. Man. Prasco's awesome. It really is. There's no doubt. It's one of the uh, best. I think they play the, um, uh, the, the, the Christian School World Series here every year, right? Yeah. yeah Something the, like that. Yeah, NCCAA or yeah. whatever it is. I mean, it's one of the most beautiful facilities in the United States. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. And it makes for fun games, too, because the outfield is kind of built with the, the quirks of the wall angles. So sometimes you, the, the outfielders will have trouble. You got balls bouncing all over the place. Guys are hitting doubles, triple. Like last night, I think there were, I don't know, four or five doubles, a triple mixed in there. It had eight home runs through the day because the walls aren't – it's 320 down the lines. If you sit out in right field, you got a great view of the whole facility. I mean, it, it really is top tier. Well, and the baseball is top tier. I mean, you talked about it yesterday, UConn. I mean, you know, we normally think college baseball. You're talking, you normally the first names that come to mind. You know, I mean, the LSUs and the oh, Texas yeah. and all those guys. I mean, Vanderbilt, whoever, and there are others. I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody, but but Mississippi State certainly is in that group. Um, but but you said UConn's ranked ninth. Yeah, UConn is pr- probably I would say the most consistent Division One team a- above the Mason Dixon line. Like they're just always there you know you get big 10 teams that come in and out yeah. here and there you know year after year but when you really think college baseball you're thinking sec you're thinking these teams that are down south acc teams that have good weather you know i think of coastal carolina a few years ago but you get big above 12 but you get about the mason dixon line i mean you see these teams that like uconn they're only playing a handful of home games because you can't play a home game till like late april right if even then if then so you're really only getting a handful of home games every year, which doesn't really let your fans get all that involved with the team. So you got to follow the team on the road, whatever it might be. It's tough for teams that play in the cold weather states to win games, but UConn's figured it out. They've won the Big East title two years in a row. Xavier's been the runner-up three tournaments in a row that they've been there. So um, playing for a spot in the title game tonight. UC baseball is a whole different story. Yeah. I mean, what in the world is going on down there? Yeah, we're going to try and get somebody on to elaborate on this situation maybe tomorrow or Monday once some more details come out about it, um, get a little more clarity on what's happening there. But, yeah, two members of the program were let go yesterday uh, for potential NCAA violations related to gambling, but really didn't get any – more clarification on that. UC's really struggled lately. Uh, 
They were great in the first year under Scott Guggins, who came over from Xavier, took the head job there uh, five years ago. 2018 was his first year there. So, Well, that, that whole thing, and, and, you know, I don't know if we're going to get the whole story. One of these days, maybe down the road, it'll all come out. But it all started with that whole Alabama thing and in Ohio. And, you know, now all of a sudden UC's involved in this thing. I mean, I, again, I don't want to get into any of it because I don't, I, I don't know enough about it to sit here and say what is or what isn't. Well, what but, I do – go ahead. Well, and this is not related to UC. I, you just – it makes you think. I have no clue. No clue. I haven't talked to anybody at UC. I have no idea what happened over there. But the, the gambling laws in the NCAA are so strict that – now, with Alabama, it was different because it was actually – you were betting on the Alabama games. But a lot of these kids, like I think it was at Iowa and some of these other schools that have gotten in trouble, if you were in college, if you work for a college – or if you are a college athlete, you cannot bet on any sport, whether it's college or professional, that has a NCAA-sanctioned sport. So that's why if you're a college athlete or if you work for a college, you can bet on NASCAR, you can bet on the UFC. They don't have... You can bet on NFL. No, because the college football... It, 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 football is an NCAA-sanctioned sport. So you can't bet on the NFL if you're in college. I see. So okay. that's where a lot right. of these Thank you. that's where a lot of these athletes or administrators whoever have gotten in trouble over the last couple of years since the gambling laws have come out. And that's why a lot of people are calling for the gambling laws to be updated because you're thinking to yourself, all right, how much does an athlete that, you know, we'll just use Iowa as an example. How much does an Iowa baseball athlete what why does it matter that they're betting on the NBA? Now, if it's baseball, that might be different because they might know some of the guys or they might have a connection or whatever. So I see where there's some gray area there, and that's what everybody's got to figure out. They don't but, know anybody in the big leagues. I mean, come well, on. That's Unless the, it's a brother of a brother of a that's brother. That's the I mean, idea. Come on. But, but that's, the, that's the idea. That's the, that's the spirit behind the law. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to tell All you right. and help it make sense. But that's where a lot of these guys are getting in trouble because they might be betting on golf or they might be betting on – the NBA or the NFL or whatever it is. And it's like, all right, there's a college athlete getting in trouble for betting on a Seahawks game. What does that matter? Right. Well, it's because they're violating the rule. Gotcha. Okay. But I have no idea what happened to UC. I mean, no, it could have been anything. No. Um, <laughs> I said I was going to be taking notes this week. I have it, but please write this down for me, Casey. Yeah. Since I am the one who is uh, going to do the chat rankings this week, that's right. I tell you, who's moving to the who's moving near the top is Fred M. Because I know a man who, uh, as Clint Eastwood once said, a man's got to know his limitations. That's right. And Fred says, gambling isn't about winning big; it's about losing small. That is like something that Mark Twain would come up with. And then Fred adds later, roulette is my kryptonite, but can't stay away from it at the casino. Fred M. Climbing the rankings. And I'm going to just reiterate what Reed said and what Trace has said. Fred, you got to go play some craps. 
the best game in, in the casino, man. Craps is the best game if you're with somebody who knows how to play it. I'll never forget the first time I ever walked up to a craps table. A guy was an old broadcast partner of mine who has the highest rated radio sports talk show in the United States of America. Is in Oklahoma City, a guy named Jim Traber. He is one of the most outrageous characters you have ever met in your life. We're going to have him on his program one day. He was a starting quarterback for the Oklahoma State football team. And he was the best player on the baseball team. Ended up making it to the major leagues. Blah, blah, blah. He was my TV partner for a couple of years with the Diamondbacks. Outrageous character. His show is Can't Miss Radio. Doesn't matter where you live. You got to listen to this guy's radio show. Jim Traber. Just look up his name. But Jim grew up in a house in Maryland where his dad knew everything about craps. And he would take his son, Jim, to the casino with him regularly as a kid. Because whatever casino they went to back in those days, that's 40, 50 years ago, they'd let the kids run around in there. So Jim and I are doing the games, and he says to me one night, we're in St. Louis, and he says, hey, we're going across the river tonight, and you're going to play craps with me. I said, good enough. So jump in a cab, East St. Louis. Oh. Um, but get over there to the casino. I mean, one of the most depressing places I've ever been. East St. Louis, it, 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 I mean, you saw a lot of down and out. But there was a dude there at the end, kind of skinny guy. Look, like he's in there all the time. We nicknamed him the Eggman. There was another guy, you know, gave him a nickname. And the next thing you know is, here we go. And Jim's trying to explain this game to me about, you know, I, I don't even remember the terms, right? And all of a sudden get, gets things rolling. We walk out of there each with like 1800 bucks. Great night, a lot of fun. Get back to the hotel like 3A because we went over at night after a game. So about two weeks later, we're going to Montreal. And he says, hey, they got one of the nicest casinos. This won't be like the Eggman and Company. This is a nice place in Montreal. We're going to go over there and Four Seasons Hotel, you know, whole deal, right? So I'm thinking, sweet. I could uh, stick an extra 15 hundo in my pocket tonight. It has to go like it did the last time, right? <laughs> this is the biggest mistake. No. So, I mean, right? Straight in the tank. So... So we got one great night. We got one terrible night. So like a month later, we're going to play in Miami. And it's in the middle of a road trip. So we had played somewhere on a Wednesday. We had Thursday off in Miami. We're playing Friday night. So he says, hey, let's give it one more go. You go get on this cruise ship, right? Only like we could walk right over a bridge from our hotel in Lauderdale. Walk over this bridge and get on this cruise ship. Go out about seven o'clock. You come out at mid. Come back at midnight. I mean, we got nothing else going on, right? Sounds great. Gonna be outside on the water, whole deal. Yeah. Gonna win a little cash. Forget the last time. It's gonna be just like it was in St. Louis. Not good. No. I mean, contemplated jumping off the ship about ten p. <laughs> swimming back. 
Because I was drowning on the boat itself. Oh, no. I recently had a very bad, very bad experience. Should have seen the text that we got from Casey last Saturday. Oh, my At the craps table? Yes. Mm. First off, I played the $25 tables because I was just getting impatient waiting for one of them to open up. $25 table? Yeah. So Wow. So I, I, you know... I'm playing my strategy, which is very common, like the, the Iron Cross. I don't know if you're familiar no, with that. No, I'm not. Well, anyways, very, very common strategy. <laughs> Doesn't matter. I'm playing it. They, they throw out. They throw out. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Back up. Yeah. Let's do a teaching everybody here. So the Iron Cross is defined in craps as. So you're placing oh, five. Here we go, Tom. You got an hour. You're, you're placing one unit. On five, six, and eight. Okay. And which on, are the big numbers? A lot of people like those numbers. Yeah, those are big common numbers. Okay. And then, and then just on the field bet, which is all the other numbers. Yes. Yeah. And if it doesn't roll any of the other numbers, you lose that field bet. So it's called the Iron Cross because you're gonna always hit on one of the numbers as long as it's not a seven. Well, like we roll out for the button, and it lands on whatever, like five or whatever. I play out the strategy. Next roll, seven. Seven and out. Ah, gosh. That's terrible luck. I'll do it again. So we roll out. Button comes out. $25 table again. $25 tables, right? So I'm I'm already pretty deep in the hole. (laughs) Second (laughs) second roll. Eight minutes? Yes. I was maybe there for all of five minutes, Tom. I went seven and out three times in a row. Three times in a row. 75 bones. Well, it's so it's 25 and then 30, 30, because six and eight, you, you got to. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then you're playing, you're playing uh, 25 on the field bet. So I, I had like 200, 300 bucks just. <laughs> in five minutes. Yeah, five minutes. I was just like, all right, this is. This We've is all been good. there, Casey. Yeah, it wasn't. A, it was not. See, a good that's night. why I say when you say the craps table is the way to go, it's it's really well. You could say it's about anything, but I mean, there's nothing more exciting than being around, even if you don't understand it. And hopefully, you have somebody with you that can explain it. Although I found it to be extremely complicated, but I'm not the brightest bulb in, in the room. I, I found everything going on happening so fast and trying to understand this and that and what's it, and you know, right? Because correct me if I'm wrong here, because it's been a long time. I mean, this is 25 years ago. You hear the term frequently, lucky seven. Seven is the unlucky in craps, Correct. Yeah, if you say the number seven around a craps table, you're going to get some bad looks yeah, at you. Yeah, right, right. Even though you do win on the come out roll on a seven, you can win on a yes, seven on I the know, first but roll. After but that, you don't want guys no. If you walk up to a craps table and you start rooting for a seven because you want it on the first roll, people are going to kick you off the table. Yeah, it's not. It's not a good look. You're not trying to root for a seven. On the other hand, correct me if I'm wrong here. When you hear people say snake eyes, that often is referred to as something bad. Well, but in craps, it's not bad, right? Yeah, you're just, just you're just rolling a two, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Well, it's funny how sometimes the the, the jargon and the lingo. Tracy Jones, 
Uh, when you were on the road or out there, and of course, in Southern California, everything's illegal. Um, well, that's not necessarily true. Uh, a lot of things are illegal out there. You're allowed to go to the bathroom on the street, and no big deal, and all kinds of stuff. <laughs> but, but, let me, but, but let me ask you, was there ever a time where you were, uh, where, where you had a chance to go out and play craps or go into the casino? Was that ever your thing? <laughs> I sat with Randy Johnson when we were playing an, a spring training game against the Padres. Tom, remember when the Padres trained in San Diego? And I can remember Randy sitting right next to Randy. I was kind of road buddy with Randy Johnson. He's a great guy, by the way. Very shy, but yep. really a great guy. And we sat at a blackjack table for probably, I would say, three hours. I got up. I said, Randy, I got to get some sleep. We got a ball game tomorrow morning. He says, yeah. I came back the next morning out of my room, walked down. Randy was sitting right at the same table. That's a true story. He wasn't pitching. He would never do that. I mean, he wasn't going to pitch at all. But he was just sitting there. So he had had to been there, I don't know, 10 hours? It was something outrageous. And maybe he went back, but... Randy was Randy liked his liked his blackjack. You guys talk about craps. My dad loved to play crap. Tried to teach me the game. Tom, I had trouble understanding it as well. I struggled with that game, and I liked to gamble. I could not. I mean, I I could not understand the game at all. I mean, because it's all happening so fast, and you're trying to get your 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 sort of head around. Okay, I need to get a, a five or a six or eight, right. but if he doesn't, do they got to pick up my chips or does that go into the next row? I mean, I, I, I didn't get right. it. You know what's funny about Randy Johnson, you say that, is, is that in about the last four or five years, and, and when you say about him being a thin guy, uh, I mean, a shy guy, I was reading a post here, about a, 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 yeah. a shy guy. I mean, he was, he was uncomfortably shy. Now, I don't know when the last time you saw him, um, I don't know if I've ever seen in my life, <clears throat> and, I, and I am not exaggerating this when I say it, I don't know if I've ever seen in my life a human being that at 40-something, or no, he's 50-something now, uh, that, that has undergone the transformation from a <clears throat> personality standpoint that Randy Johnson has. He never stops talking now. He's smiling. He's outgoing. He comes in the Diamondbacks television booth all the time. Once you get him in there, you can't get him to shut up. I can't believe it's the same guy. Well, I don't know Randy Johnson like that. I know him as the shy guy. But what a great teammate. We were playing against, and I forget, maybe it was the Brewers, but someone hit me. Uh, I don't know if it was intentional, really not the point. Randy, who was pitching, <laughs> walks by and goes, Trace, you want me to hit one of their players? I says, no, it's all right, Randy. <laughs> you don't want to get hit by Randy Johnson. But here he's just kind of casual. Want me to hit one of their guys, Trace? I said, no, it's all right, Randy. Well, we ended up later that season getting into that huge fight where someone did hit me and I charged the mound. That was the longest fight in baseball history. It was the Brewers against the Mariners, and that fight lasted 20 two minutes. I know you guys think I BS a lot, which I do, but that is a true story. That is the longest fight in baseball history. 
and it was the Brewers against the Mariners, and it started when I was hit. There's a guy by the name of Bob Sabra. I don't know if you know that yes, name. Yes, I Tom. do. I do. Yep. But he was he hit me on purpose after Jay Buhner went deep and Griffey went deep. I don't know why he hit me. I'm not going to go deep. <laughs> so he hit me right in the back, and I was like, I got into it with B.J. Surhoff. That fight went from home plate to right field all the way against the wall to all the way back. It started three separate times. That's where uh, uh, one of our utility infielders, a guy who backed up Omar Vizquel, Jeff Schaefer, body slammed Tom Treblehorn. I don't, it was incredible. Tom Treblehorn, the manager of, of the Brewers? Yes, yes. It was such, it was a fight where it kind of got a little scary because they had a lot of big guys. And we had a lot of guys that weren't real tough <laughs> and really, really small. Omar Vizquel, Harold Reynolds, you know, uh, Alvin Davis, who's a bigger guy, but a very nice guy. We had a lot of nice guys. So it was like three of us fighting the Brewers who had Dave Parker, <laughs> Vaughn, Bragg, Ron Robinson, all these guys. And it's like, oh, my goodness, this is getting real ugly. In fact, and I've brought it up on the show, is I have a problem with my neck. I don't know if I've ever told you that. And it's from that fight. And the person, who, and I couldn't get him off my back, was a guy by the name of Don Baylor. Oh Don Baylor God. got me around the neck, neck, and I could not get away. And I was with Sir Hoff and a couple other guys. And to this day, my neck is still bad. I start sweating a little bit because it makes me so mad that it, he stretched out a vertebra, vertebrae and uh, still have a problem to this day. No kidding. Yes. Wow. Well, Don Baylor, if he got a hold of you, you weren't going anywhere. Yeah, and we had got into a situation where I actually took him down in Detroit, and he remembers that. And when he had an opportunity for a payback, he got in, you know, did a little damage. I actually got a settlement because of this. Because of, really? of Workman's Comp. Yeah, in California. You know how they give away money in oh, California? Oh, there's no you doubt. Just apply. You just got to apply. Yeah, I got a disability insurance for my neck because there is some damage. And then also I have a few concussions as well, as we've talked about. Did you land any blows in that fight? You know, I... I let me just say this. You know, I, I don't know if you know this. I trained in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. I was trained with Hoist Gracie, who won the three ultimate fights, the first three ultimate fights. We've never discussed because I'm 62 and the macho thing's kind of out of me now. But I trained for three years with the Gracie family. you got to Google it. I trained with Hoist, Horian, Hickson, the whole Gracie family. So I'm not a, a good puncher. I'm a real good grappler. I'm real good at that. So I actually got my purple belt in Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. I was one of the first actually in the country. And my best friend, and Google this, Craig Kuka was the first Brazilian black belt American in this country. You spell it K-U-K-U-K. -K -K. Google it. See what you come up with. But yeah, I, I'm not a good puncher at all. But I'm a real good grappler. Or at least I K-U-K-U what? K. Kukuk. First American Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. And that's my best friend. Wow. Boy, you're not lying. I mean, this guy yeah. is dialed in. There's some serious videos on this cat. Yeah. High school he wrestler really in California. Yeah. 
He was a great street fighter. He was, he was unbelievable. I'll tell you the story about the Gracies and how we got involved in, in the whole jujitsu thing. And I, I know this is kind of you know strange for a lot of people, but the Gracies were going around to gyms and challenging people to fight. No rules. And they would fight people. Um, Chuck Norris said he wastes his whole life on karate, should have been doing Gracie jiu-jitsu. So he was the, the, the brother, the oldest brother, Horing was going around challenging people to fight. So we had a guy that just got out of prison, San Quentin, oh. or was it Folsom? Oh, really God. a bad. I'm talking, I'm talking a guy benching for, I'm talking about a guy that was all state wrestler heavyweight division. So we got him and went to the garage. It was a garage and a mat. We were called the Garage Boys, the original people. John Saxon, the, the uh, actor. I don't know if you know that name, John Saxon. Is it John Saxon? You know Meat from uh, Porky's? He yes, was a, of course. Of the, yes, yeah, yeah, big dude. Yeah, yeah, he was one of the guys too. So we had Kurt, was his name, fight Horian, and Horian choked him out in about 30 seconds. We saw that. Kurt wanted to go again, my friend got choked out again, and we said, we gotta sign up for this. And there were like four of us that, that went through the whole thing. And it was, it was quite an experience because no one knew about Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. So you have the ultimate fighting championship, Hoist enters into it, Hoist weighs 165 pounds and beat every single guy easily. Won three straight UFCs, um, he was, he's quite a, quite a person. I mean, but that's where the whole UFC started from. That was an idea from the Gracies, uh, from Horry and Gracie. And Art Davey and Bob Morowitz owned UFC, and Dana White bought those guys out. That is amazing. So, yeah, it's, it's something that I don't talk about, but it's crazy. Did, I mean, did you ever have a chance to, I mean, I'm being serious about this because you've always been smart money guy. Um, uh, did you ever have a chance to invest in that whole thing? Great question. I didn't have the money back then, but I did talk to uh, Bob Marovitz or was it Art Davey about Henzo Gracie wanted to fight in one of the, the ultimate fightings. And Henzo wanted $100,000. And uh, one of the owners said, I will never pay a fighter $100,000. So think about it now. Yeah. I mean, how much of those guys, you know, think about what Conor McGregor's making, you know, right? I mean, oh man, it's yeah, just insane. really time. It's the fastest growing sport in this country. It's an incredible sport. Um, you, you know, you prompted me because there are a lot of our audience out there, um, including the Ham and Eggers, which by the way, fellas, you want to say good morning to Tracy Jones? Good morning, Tracy. Tracy, how are you today? Well, good, good, Ham and Eggers. Good, real good. You know, it got me thinking when you said, because it was about, about two months ago, I'm over to Buddy's house, his wife's out of town, my wife's out of town, and we're having a few beers, about three or four of us. It's about nine o'clock at night. And somehow, some way, somebody brings up the movie Porky's. Mm-hmm. Now... Well, naturally, we go in the house, put it on, because when I was a kid, that might have been my all-time favorite movie. 
That is good. one of the biggest belly laugh movies of all time. And even now, if somebody could go back and watch that, and you knew Meat from Portland. I met him a couple times. Yeah, he was, he was, he was one of those original guys that did the jujitsu. Is that what but your upbringing you. was like? I think that was based in, in, in Florida because they had the swamp bar and all that kind of stuff going on, you know, where they, they, they got everything going on and got into trouble. But that seems like it may be a, like a Southern California kind of thing. With spying on girls in the locker room? Right, that kind of stuff. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll tell you who was an interesting guy and a big shot. Is Google John Saxon, the act, actor. He was a big-time actor. And, and I'm sure if you guys see him, you'll say, oh, you recognize that guy. He played in a lot of shows. Oh, yeah, 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 lot. for sure. A lot of you shows. Know what You're talking. right. Yeah, yeah, a lot. <laughs> He's a, a big-time, a great guy, too. I think he died recently, but yeah, he, he's a he's a good guy. Yeah, he died in 2020 down in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. That's yeah. where he made his yeah. up. You're yeah. right; he was in a lot of stuff, man. A lot of stuff. I'm doing yeah. a lot of I'm doing a lot of name dropping today, Tom. Well, you know what? That's okay. That's all right. I mean, <laughs> golly, day was he in a lot of stuff. All right. Um, anyway, you know, I wanted to get into <laughs> something with you. Um, we had um, at the beginning of the show today. We had Willie Anderson on, and I don't know how much of a, a football fan or a Bengals yeah. fan you are. Willie Anderson is, is one of the top 40, 50 players in the history of the Bengals. He uh, one day will be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He was in the second class um, to be honored in the Bengals Ring of Honor last year. Phenomenal player, mm -hmm. uh, and he runs this academy traveling all over the country for 8th to 12th graders, guys in college, even guys in the NFL uh, about uh, becoming an offensive lineman. So I asked him the question, uh, Jonah Williams, who was a starting left tackle of the Bengals the last five years, okay, they bring in Orlando Brown Jr., and they're asking mm -hmm. Jonah Williams to go over to right tackle. Okay. All of that in a long-winded way to set up all this stuff. If you were uh, a member of the Cincinnati Bengals, and you had a guy in Jonah Williams – who, within minutes after Orlando Brown Jr. is signed as a free agent to take your job, okay, as a starting left tackle for the Bengals. And your agent, within minutes, sends out on social media, uh, I want out of here. Jonah Williams, right. I want out. Okay, the team owes him $4.5 million this season. They're asking him to move to right tackle instead of left tackle. Now, the Bengals are having voluntary OTAs right now. The entire team is here. Even guys that, you know, are coming back from an ACL injury like Lyle Collins, who was a starting right tackle before he got hurt late last year, blew his ACL, right? Jonah Williams has never played right tackle. He has a chance to be on a team that could win the Super Bowl. He's not here. What would be your thoughts about that if you were – not another offensive lineman. I'm going to take them out of the mix. But if you're Joe Burrow or if you're Jamar Chase or if you're a guy on the defense and you're saying to yourself, wait a minute now, all of us came here to hang out, leaving our homes wherever it is that we live. Some of them live here. A lot of them live here. But a lot of, you know, all of us have come in for this thing. 
as part of the, the whole team culture <clears throat> thing, right? And here this guy is getting guaranteed paid a lot of money. He's got to go learn a new position, and he ain't here. What are your thoughts of that? Well, I would probably do the same thing as Jonah Williams. And look at who cares about the team. Sorry, I hate to sound like that, but you know, here's a guy taking the other side, Tom, and you're the one that told me. Didn't Jonah Williams play with a broken kneecap or something? Well, he crazy? dislocated kneecap. Yes, he did. Yeah, and and well, I'm giving him all know, the credit in the world for that. Right, because you're sitting there going, here's a guy that busted his ass. I wasn't 100%. He gave up a lot of sacks, I thought. I, I thought he got well, beat he a lot, but you're the one that told me he had injuries. So now you're going to replace me. Now you're going to ask me to go to the other side where the left tackle's paid more than the right tackle going forward. And I don't even think he's listed as a number one starter on the right uh, as far as being the right tackle, is he? So well, they've said he's Jordan a guy. Was, they've said he's a guy. And, and that's why I asked you the question because Zach Taylor has said Jonah Williams is our right tackle until further notice. Well, what I would probably do, and this is what Jonah Williams is doing, this is what his agent is doing. They are pushing for a trade. They're not happy. You're not going to make them happy because Brown's a great left tackle. You got to trade them. There's really no answer to this besides trading and getting players in return of draft picks. But Tracy, isn't there something to be said? It's not like you're playing for a team that went, you know, six and ten or six and eleven last year. I mean, you're playing for a team that has gone to back-to-back -back AFC championship games. You've got all the horses in the stable. This is your one chance. How many times do I hear guys like you talk about, man, I want to get that ring. Man, I want to get that ring. And you mean to tell me that that you are taking the side of stay home as opposed to man i know i got one more year left in cincinnati and i'm probably gone but man that one more year what a better right. way to cap it off than winning a super bowl okay I, I know people are gonna blast me here on this on the chat but let me say this again and I've said it before on your show, Tom, and you didn't like it then. Your dad doesn't like it. The Ham and Eggers don't, are not going to like this, but I'm keeping it real, as they say in California. You ready? <laughs> <laughs> I, and now, I, now, listen, this is how I thought. That, that, this is my thinking. I'd rather go four for four and lose than go 0 for four and the team win. Do you understand me? I definitely understand you. Maybe that's why I was traded five times. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you got to think of your I, I got to tell you, 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 you know, Tracer, you surprise me. I mean, your unpredictability, it really surprises me. And I'm not, I'm not judging whether you're, you're right or whether you're wrong because I don't know if there is a right or a wrong answer on this thing because both sides are logical arguments. But I, you know, I don't know. You strike me as, by and large, an old-school guy. And old-school, to me, is, you know, team, let's win. The old no I, was I all in about the that. word team. I was all about that until I got traded the first time and went to the Expos. 
And then I was kind of the team guy. Then I was traded another time to the Giants. Now I'm really dropping off. And by my fifth time, I didn't care if we won a game or lost a game. I cared how I did. Because if I hit, I'm going to stick on that team. Yep. If I don't hit, they'll get rid of Tracy Jones. So it is about the player. You know, and there's a little difference in football and, ba and baseball. You know, baseball's an individual sport. Okay? Yeah. There, it's an individual That's sport. Right. Where no football, if, if that left tackle or right tackle breaks down, the play's over. So you really do have to have a cohesive team working on the same page. I don't think you really need that. Everybody has to do their job in, in, in baseball. I mean, just do your job. But in football, you got to work together. That's a team. Not so much in baseball. All right, I got one more question for you. Uh, the Reds are going to Wrigley Field tomorrow, and it always used to blow my mind back in the old days, and maybe this would come as no surprise. Um, there was a time where the, the, the Cubs were only allowed to play 18 night games a year. Of course, before that, they didn't have lights, and they played all-day games. But, you know, when I was announcing their games, I, I would always find it just shocking um, that the, 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 the players' offensive statistics for the, the, the Cubs – they would be so far superior during day games than when they would go on the road and play the majority of night games, right? Now, mm -hmm. um, you know, and maybe that explained why they were never in the hunt the six years I was there is because they went a lot of games at home and get their brains beat out on the road. But did you find that uh, there was any difference at all hitting during the day as opposed to hitting or seeing the ball at night? You know, I was a pretty good hitter during the day, day games, better than at night games. And I just figured it out. It's kind of crazy. You know how I do a lot of fasting, right? I only eat once a day. Well, I find that when I'm fasting, I'm pretty sharp because my body shuts down after I eat. I never had anything to eat before I went for a day game. And I felt so much better, so much energy and I was thinking that's probably why I hit better is because I was on edge. You know how when you eat, you just your body shuts down. Well, I never had a meal. I never had a pregame meal uh, when I had a day game. And I, I don't know if there's any correlation. I'm assuming a lot. But I just thought that was interesting. And I think that's what a lot of players do. I think they drink their coffee and go out and play. And, and I think you, you do see the ball a little bit better, though. I, I do agree with that. Are you a better husband because you're fasting now? I'm not a very good husband, period. So it doesn't matter if I'm fasting or not. And let me let me get into let me say something to that guy over there. Let, let me Casey, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Casey, are you yep. paying attention today or are you <laughs> messing around looking at pornhub.com? No. Here's I'm the deal. Here's wait a minute, that's Reed. Listen, listen, here, 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 did I see you laughing before I went on? Were you laughing about blowing $300? How dare you? No that's doubt. That's not funny. First of all, that, that's not even your money. Alexander probably Venmoed you $300. I just really shaking my head at you, Casey. You, you, you know what? Now you're going to get married. You're going to go from a fiance to a freeloader. How is that going to work out with a marriage? How long can that last? Uh, uh, it's been working out pretty good so far. <laughs>
so wait a minute, wait a minute. And one thing, I mean, listen, I'm having, here's what I'm having a hard time connecting the dots. And again, okay, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but I do pay attention and I do listen. Yeah. Yeah, okay? you do. You said to us, two days after your bachelor party, you said to us that you had to contact Alexandria. Yep. That you were allowed to go get a hundred dollars. Yeah. Did, did did she come into this conversation somewhere where you were pissing away three hundo within five minutes? I, it, it wasn't like it wasn't three hundred dollars. It was like two hundred dollars. It was more than two hundred. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was more than two hundo. You had them on on five, six. Eight, the Iron Cross, the pass line, $25 table, and you were there for three or four rolls. It was more than two hundred. Well, yeah, she was right there. Oh, she was there with you. She was with me, yeah. So she okay. Is that when the money question, the policy came into question after that night? Um, Where for you to get a hundo, you had to check in with her? Well, I mean, she had already given me – actually, she didn't even give me $100. She gave me $80 or something roughly like that. <laughs> and then I pulled out so bad some so money bad. that I had left over, and uh, that that's where that went. Okay, I, I don't mean, part, know what – Part of the reason me. why I asked I, for $100 oh. to begin with was because I, I was so drunk that that night at the bachelor party, I couldn't <laughs> I, type in my code right on the ATM – so I needed it to go to a different account so I could, because I knew that one. That, that was the main reason why I asked for $100 that Boy. night. Here it is. He's a drinker, a gambler, and a liar. What a high-value man that is right there. You know, I don't know what you're doing on your as far as your honeymoon, but I get a visual of you at these a resort, right? Probably sitting at a cabana. It's probably clothing optional like the ones I like to go to. You're sitting there on your phone, probably placing bets. Yep. Uh, Alexandria's in the room uh, at the desk working, and you're yep. probably you know, texting her, hey, I need, uh, can you Venmo me $300? I'm getting that visual right on the honeymoon, aren't you, Tom? I <laughs> am. Uh, <yeah. laughs> uh, so that's probably okay with you. You know, I, I, listen, I'd be okay being in that spot. <laughs> <laughs> you're out by the I pool. am too. You're hanging out. Your wife's in the room, right? Working. She's working. You're chilling. You know, sometimes it's nice to be taken care of. It's nice <laughs> to, be, to have someone there Paul. to just, you know, right? Don't, don't you like I, being taken care of? Sure. Yeah. It's called a freeloader. <laughs> well, you know. This honeymoon, <laughs> I don't think I'll be going to any casino. That's for sure. I, after That's that true. night, I think she uh, lock and chain threw the key out on the on the money thing. So, and rightfully, are you going to be taking any time off, Casey? Any time huh? off? Are you taking my time off from the show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll be gone. I'll be gone a week. You're going to have to deal with Reed and I for two shows, Tracy. Okay, just tell Reed to focus, okay? Sometimes he's on that computer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tracer, have a good weekend, my man. Great to see you. All right. All right, boys. Be safe.
Uh, you Have a good do. weekend. Man, uh, somebody in the chat says, Tracy has exposed Casey. Once again. And that is by Fred M., who, as we sit here today, going into the final day of the week, manana. He's going into the final round with a big lead. Yep. So, for the rest of you guys out there, um, PB's Ghost, Alex, Brian, CJ, Ronnie, Jordan, right? No Sir Boy Wonder today. No. He's been MIA a couple of days this week. I do know he, when he's working, he listens to the show, but he can't type in the chat. So, he might be working right now. He just can't respond because he's working but i mean the, pl the the player formerly known as mouse cop i normally like putting him near the top he's in the urgent care right now yeah and <laughs> and, and, and you know but but i mean he's able to get in today still but but he's not beaten down reed and that gets him moving up <laughs> if there's some creativity to it not just for the sake of fire reed i mean that's tired He's got some work to do. All of you do. Have work to do for Tamarcus. Fred M., without a doubt, Everett, all you guys, Fred M., the leader in the clubhouse. Evan? Recent addition. Yep, great to have him. If you had to do a mock top, Top three. Who no, are... I can't do the top three. No, you yet. can't do that. We got it tomorrow. Can't do it. Okay. All right. All right. Gentlemen, uh, have a great day. Wait, we have a cherry on top real quick. Oh, boy. Okay, let's have very it. Very Presented quick by one. UDF. Very quick one. But it's always funny when these things happen at baseball games. So, this happened two nights ago. Thought we'd throw it up there. This happened at Yankee Stadium. Little squirrel. Get in on the action. Running right on through. Look out. Wait, hang on, buddy. Hang on. Oh, no. Down he goes. Down he goes. Oh. <laughs> Flying squirrel. He got out, though, right? He got out. He got out. You know, it's amazing there's a squirrel anywhere near Yankee Stadium. Yeah. I mean, there's like no trees there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Made his way from Central Park. That's a long haul. It's a long haul. <laughs> Through a lot of messy traffic. He earned his right to be at Yankee Stadium. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Uh, all right. I, I, a couple people trying to get in there here to, 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 to move up the leaderboard. Last two or three holes here. But, nope. Ooh, PB's Ghost with a Stephen King reference. The Running Man. PB's Ghost has just moved into second place. <laughs> Stephen King reference. That's big league reference, PB's Ghost. Well done. All right, gentlemen. Casey, have a great rest of your day. Thank have you. fun out of Prasco. Paul, good luck tonight. Yeah. Big... On the broadcast with the Xavier Musketeers. Great time. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I'm in the uh, dugout for the first game, and then I'm on play-by-play -play for the second game. All right. So, Have a good call. Jacob, good seeing you. we got to catch you. up still soon. Yeah. Uh, and thanks to all of you. We thank Willie Anderson, Ron Coomer, Tracy Jones. Looking forward to a big show tomorrow. Have a great rest of your Thursday.
We'll see you mañana.